I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning Culture Podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning Culture Podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barry, and joining me this week was Anthony Altieri. Anthony is a self-professed idiot. He is the instructional designer of Internet of Things for his own business, Omnes Solutions. And he's a bit of an expert on LMS operations and all the technology that underpins how we learn in organizations. I wanted to get Anthony on the show to talk about the potential for the Internet of Things. But our conversation took an interesting turn when we started discussing a use case for taking interactions in Salesforce and using those as a proxy for behavior that we want to see in our teams, in our salespeople, using those data points to be able to recommend learning interventions specifically tailored for the person. So for example, if someone has 100 open opportunities in their pipeline and has only done follow-up calls for 50 of them, we might want to push a learning intervention that prompts them to set up follow-up calls and gives them performance support and advice on exactly how to go about doing that. I think you'll find this episode very useful from a possibilities perspective, helping you think about how can we really tailor the learning experience? How can we really understand what people are doing and personalize the experience for them based on that? Anthony has been in e-learning industry since 2004, so it brings a lot of experience to this discussion. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy this nugget of useful information from my guest, Anthony Altieri. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into a topic we don't talk about often on the show. And that's kind of the, it's under the hood of what a lot of people in training and learning and enablement roles have to have to deal with or perhaps deal with, but not really realize how it works. And so my first question for you is why is it important to know how the technology that, and that enables you to do your job works. So I think there's a couple of points here to make. Um, one is a more, I don't know if you want to say a more philosophical standpoint, but I think that informs the other, the other point is I, I've worked with a lot of folks who call themselves learning professionals. And, you know, I have two bones to pick with that. One is we're not learning, we're training. Uh, and you had Ajay Pingarkar on your podcast uh, a little bit ago, and you know, and he made that point as well. I think Mark Lassoff mm-hmm. made that point as well. We focus on training. The other is the term professional. You can't be a professional if you don't know how the stuff you make works. And I would challenge you or anybody um, to find a profession where you don't have to know how this stuff works. You know. You're not a professional baker if you can't explain how yeast works. You're not a professional auto mechanic if you can't explain how it, how uh, internal combustion works. Would you go to a doctor that can't tell you how the heart works? 
you know, so I think on a, from, from a philosophical mm-hmm. standpoint, we need to understand how our stuff works. And the reason that that's important, more so than necessarily the ability to write code, you know, or become a programmer, right? Mm-hmm. Having an idea of how things work gives you a lot of strength and power. It gives you a lot of control. If there's a problem, you can debug it. You can at least locate where the problem is, what's happening. If you know how it works, Mm -hmm. you can take liberties and you can start to stretch your potential of, okay, instead of a course, um, stop me if you've heard this before, we need to stop using the next button. You know, that's kind of a bugaboo. Mm-hmm. Well, instead yeah, of using next, next, next button, yeah, it, instead of making a slideshow, if you know how this stuff works, well, you can start adding some some features. You can start adding some functions. You can start adding different activities. And you can really start to push some limits. Um, another point uh, that Mark made when he was on was the attention economy. You know, everybody has a budget of attention. And by understanding how things work under the hood, you can really push what you can do, which then, like I said, it allows you to create some better activities, some more engaging courses, and it lets you grab some more of that budget, some more of that attention budget that people have throughout the day. Um, And, you know, it just makes us more effective at our jobs. Yeah. So I'm sure you get this a lot, the people going and, and just, I mean, let's actually, first of all, let's just set the scene. When we're talking about the technology, we're talking about LMSs, LXPs, like what other, what other systems and technologies do kind of fall under this for you? I think it depends where you're, where you are. Um, if you're an LMS admin, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stick with LMS admin because that's kind of the most generic term. Because uh, you have, yeah, you know, you have LMS, learning management system, LXP, learning experience platform. And yeah, there's a whole alphabet soup out there. I'll, I'll just say LMS mm-hmm. generically to cover all of them. Um, if you're an LMS yeah, admin, okay. you know, you definitely need to know how your platform works. And again, there too, it gives you a lot more strength and ability to do your job and expand your ability to deal with problems as they come up. One of the things I do in my work is I I work with a lot of people, a lot of LMS admins. And I just had a case, oh, maybe a month ago. Um, The person didn't know how to upload a zip file for SCORM. You know, um, that's basic. If you Mm. can't do that, you know, you're, you're, you're just toast from the beginning. I had another one that mm-hmm. they pa- they packaged the SCORM file and it wouldn't upload and they couldn't figure out why. And, you know, it was, it was just a weird thing and how the, that zip file was created. They, they created it and mm-hmm. the SCORM files need to be in the root level of a zip file. They zipped the directory, not the contents of the directory. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not knowing how that works, they lost like four days worth of, of product. They they lost four days of people being able yeah. to take this course. Whereas just having some of that technical understanding of how that works, you know, could have saved them almost a week. Well, base four days out of five, so it would have saved yeah. them a work week. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, we, I don't want to get sort of bogged down in the details here like that. Cause I think yeah. that's also, it, it, it illustrates the problem, right? It illustrates the point. And, yeah. but I think what's going to be very interesting to unpack in this conversation is like, what, what, what do you need to know at a, and I'm thinking more like at an executive level, right? Like to where you work, you have an LMS admin on your team. You have someone kind of working with you to do these things. What, sh what, sh what is, should your, where should someone in that position start to, to kind of gain the understanding to help them be more effective? So I think at a, at a C-suite, the reality is they don't care. Um, they need to know, mm -hmm. because again, you know, at the C-suite, C-suite doesn't care how the sausage is made. And I don't say that to be disparaging. It's not It's not their job to care how the mm -hmm. sausage is made. They hire people to make the sausage, and it's their job to care how the sausage is made. The C-suite right. cares that the sausage is made and that it's selling well, and we're making a profit. So I think when you look at the CEOs, mm -hmm. even a CIO, really what they're going to care is do the cadre of tools and resources we have, is it meeting our needs? I, I don't think they have any interest at all in mm -hmm. the technology. As long as the work's getting done and we're getting paid, mm -hmm. they don't. And again, uh, that's not to be disparaging. Yeah. That's their job. Their job is to corral all the other different groups. Um, I think yeah. as you move down that though, yes. I, I was going to say, as you, as you move down that to maybe a, an HR director, now you get mm -hmm. to people who really do need to start to have some basic understanding of the technology. So it's not C-suite, but it's, you know, D-suite. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what letter comes below mm. C in that hierarchy. Um, but it's in that mid-level yeah. management that you, you need, then you start to understand and really even there, it's more, you have to understand, okay, what technology do I need? And then what are the prerequisites to make that technology work? So I need an LMS. Okay. So, well then so I what, need a server, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So, so architect that. Yeah, architect that for us. Like, what is um, what is what are the what are the um, what are the edges of of what you need to know? What are the inputs that that have to be understood to be able to make good decisions around this? So, like I said, I w I would say realistically, you know, coming from top down, realistically, that starts around mid management. Like I said, you may you know your HR director or your training director, depending on how your company's structured, right? Um. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing there is understanding the requirements. What are we trying to accomplish? And then what are the technologies that help us acquire those goals? And what I mean by that is, uh, and I'm just, I'll just make up some examples. Um, I run a paper mill. I need to increase production by 10%. Or I, mm -hmm. you know, I make widgets and you know what, we had 50 accidents last year. I need to get that down to 25. You know, we need, you know, we look at the mm -hmm. business level requirements first. What are our goals? What are our business goals? And then we look at, well, how do, what technology is going to help us get there? How do we, how do we accomplish that? Um, and more often than not, that'll include some form of an LMS or LXP as you do mm -hmm. um 
And what we're going to need there is, so what are the prerequisite technologies? So if I have an LMS, okay, well, is this LMS SCORM compatible? Do I need to bring in people who can create SCORM compatible content or XAPI content, or is it proprietary? Um, a, a lot of people are probably familiar with Udemy or Teachable. Um, these use mm -hmm. a proprietary format, and it's perfectly fine, but you need to know what technology the LMS uses to serve courses or to serve courseware, yeah. what have you. Um, and then you also have to look at when we create that, how are people going to access that technology? Is it only while they're at work or what we would refer to as on net? Or are they going to be expected to take mm -hmm. courses from home or out in the field or somewhere where they're going to be off network? okay, now I have to make sure my LMS is available to that group. Either I can firewall it, and it's only available on that, or I need it available up from the world. I need it to be public-facing so people can mm -hmm. take these courses at home, what have you, right? And then, you know, really that's at, at, at a, you know, at a mid-management, I guess, level, you know, below C-suite, really that's where they are. And then below them, you would have the the people who are actually, I don't want to say doing the work, but they're the boots on the ground, right? They're the people who are actually going to implement mm -hmm. the LMS. Mm -hmm. They're the people who are actually going to build the courses. And then this is where, mm -hmm. okay, I need to know SCORM, SCORM 1.2, SCORM 2004, second edition, XAPI 1.0, you know, now I need to know the nitty gritty. I need to know what server requirements are. I need to know, you know, all of that fun stuff. And that's just to be able to do the job. And then if you want to do the job well, then, you know, that spreads out a little. But the reality is, like yeah. I said, you know, before anybody needs to know anything very serious or technical, you're down several steps from C-suite usually yeah 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 so let's talk about something that you're very passionate about uh the internet of things and first of all for yes. for folks um what i think what i'm most curious about is how this can be applied in 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 learning right in 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 training organizations and in learning organizations so let's start by first defining what do we mean by internet of things so the Internet of Things, in its most generic form, the Internet of Things, by definition, is basically anything connected to the Internet. Um, that could be your Internet-enabled watch, your Internet-enabled, you know, Raspberry Pis. I, I have, I, I have like seven Raspberry Pis that I can count just in my view here. Uh, there's one literally What's right that? there. What's the ras Raspberry Pi? A ra wait, with with your accent, you're not familiar with the raspberry pi wow um it is a computer out of it, it is a computer out of uh, jolly old england it is a and believe it or not i don't have a naked one sitting right here which is very rare for me um it's a 30 it started out really as a 35 dollar computer it was based on uh the computer the early computer projects from the 80s you know that they were the old computer projects that British school children would get to learn to program, you know, and they were the, the commodity based, they were very inexpensive and, and not the most powerful things in the world because they were meant to teach basic computer skills. So the Raspberry Pi now, of course, you can get, I, I mean, 
you know, here's my phone. This has something like 100 times the computing power that we sent a man to the moon with, right? I mean, that's not a stat that comes mm-hmm. as a surprise to anybody. So now you have the Raspberry no. Pi computer, which runs on uh, 5 to 12 volts and has a surprising amount of computing power. And people use those to drive anything from network-enabled cameras, weather sensors, security systems, um, automation mm-hmm. systems. You can. Uh, there's a project called OpenHab that uses a Raspberry Pi to run home automation systems, control your thermostat, control your HVAC, uh, turn the water heater on and off, you know, whatever. Um, so basically the internet of things is anything that can, can talk to the internet more specifically, the more colloquial definition though, are those little niche objects, um, like your internet enabled cameras or your smartphones or, um, you know, your Apple watches, things like that, or the things most people would be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it also includes, like I said, a lot of sensors, mm-hmm. a lot of machinery. Now, a lot of HVAC has Internet of Things sensors built in. Um, and this is not new. Actually, if you had a uh, photocopier in the 1980s, that was an Internet of Things device. Mm-hmm. It just, instead of using the Internet, it had a modem and it would call the provider and say, hey, these guys have made... 500 copies this month. Their toner's running low. Um, So this is by no means, none of this is new. Hey, it's your host, Andrew here. I wanted to take a second just to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you did a couple of things for us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It really allows us to grow the channel and reach a lot more people like you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and review. It's a great way to give us some feedback and to tell the world what you think about this podcast. So whether you listen to it on YouTube or you listen to it as a podcast, if you take one of those actions, it would mean the world to me and my team. Thank you. And with that, right back to the show. So what's the promise of Internet of Things for organizational learning? So one of the things with organizational learning, and this is where IoT couples brilliantly with XAPI. Um, XAPI, for those of you who don't know very quickly, uh, XAPI is based on the statement, I did this. I launched this course. I played this video. I clicked this button. One of the powers that that gives us is we can use the IoT devices. Again, let's go back to the paper mill example. I can use the IOT sensors in that paper, excuse me, in that paper mill to say, okay, from, I'm just going to make some stuff up from, you know, first shift is making one mile of paper. I don't know. I'm again, I'm just making stuff up, making one mile of paper. Second shift is Mm -hmm. making 1.1 mile of paper. Third shift is making 0.8 miles of paper. We can get these sensors. And we're seeing these this many errors and we're seeing whatever. With that information now, mm-hmm. we can build courses that specifically tailor to your needs. So, for example, let's say, you know, Andrew, you're working second shift. You're making 1.1 miles uh, of paper every day. You guys are doing great. You know what? We're just going to have you do a little review, make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. 
Bob's your uncle. You're out of here. I'm on third shift because mm-hmm. I definitely look like someone who would be on third shift. Um, I'm only making 0.8 <laughs> miles per uh, of paper. So the course may tailor itself based on that telemetry, based on the data it gets from the sensors to say, you know what, this guy's on third shift and you know, they, they really need help setting up the press. You know, it's taking them far too long to set up the press. So we're going to really hammer that home with these guys. And so now mm. um, this is kind of a play on adaptive learning, if you will, where the, the, the course mm. is self-tailoring itself to your needs based on your data. And that's where on your, I, actions, on your actions, right? Well, yeah, on what I'm actually doing in the real world. Um, instead of right now, a yeah. lot of people use adaptive learning based on, you know, maybe an opening exam or something. Oh, well, he did really well in this lesson, so we'll let him skip that one. Well, no, now we can base it on real world mm-hmm. activities. Mm-hmm. So how how do we track things that are more tacit? Right. So like a lot of knowledge work these days is involves tacit knowledge and, you know, talking to people and negotiating, persuading, you know, developing all that kind of stuff. Um, how do we track that so we can map those actions to learning interventions? In that case, you'd probably be looking more at without getting like super big brother you know, where you've got Siri or, or something like constantly listening to your conversations and analyzing, right. you, know, you know, I think you meant to ask this question, you know, like that's probably creepy. <laughs> right. um, yeah. You would have to look at results. Um, who's, who's getting the most sales, who's making the most connections, who's entering the most new customers, things like that. And then from there, mm-hmm. you would have to do, maybe some scenario-based training and based on those interactions in the scenario, things like that are hard to monitor Mm. again, without some really creepy big Mm. brother action. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting idea of, of tying it to sort of actions taken in a CRM, for example. So trying to think like, what is, what are the things I can get people to do in software to evidence what um, I want them to do, right? The behaviors that we want to see. And that's actually something you could do, you know, now that we're having this conversation, I'm thinking through it. So I do a lot of work with Salesforce. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, salesforce.com. I get yelled Mm. at whenever I just call it Salesforce, so I apologize. Um, I do a lot of work with Salesforce, and it would actually be fairly easy to send a request to Salesforce and say, um, from June 1st to today, how many contacts did Anthony create? And then based on that, yeah. maybe do another one of, okay, how many show follow-up? Oh, only 50% show follow-up? Okay, I'm going to train this guy on how to to do more follow-up work. And this is, again, you know, mm. kind of getting back to one of the earlier questions. Captivate, uh, uh, articulate, Lectora. I love all these, these products. They're great. Mm-hmm that you're not going to do that in those products without writing some custom code. And so kind of coming, bringing that Mm -hmm. back around, if you can write some relatively basic code, 
now these things become actually really easy and now you can add and again getting back to my point of being able to really stretch what you can do on a budget now i can make that mm-hmm. bespoke course that self tailors based on what you actually did in salesforce.com sorry yeah i think that is i think that's a very powerful idea here so i mean, let, let's play this out a little bit so um, first of all, who would you, if someone was in an executive role listening to this and was thinking, okay, that sounds interesting. Like what team, who do I need on my team to help me build this? How do you hire for this role? What kind of person are you looking for? Well, I think the first question is what's your budget? Um, because you're going to want, you're going to want two skill sets. You're going to want someone who is very well skilled at training you you want you need somebody who's very skilled at conveying that information in a consumable format that's not going to change we still need Mm -hmm. training but you're also going to need someone who either well you'll need someone who's also quite skilled with salesforce to know what questions to ask um you and i have both Mm -hmm. been around the block enough times that you know sometimes the key isn't getting the right or you know the key is in how you ask the question as to getting the right answer right totally um totally. yeah so you need somebody who knows how to talk to salesforce and get that information out of it and ask those questions but also you need somebody who knows okay well what are the key indicators you know what are the kpis that tell me mm-hmm. this person needs help versus this person who does not and then lastly, you would need the skills mm-hmm. to actually write that code to go into Salesforce, grab that information and pull it out, and then process it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to get that information, mm-hmm. but then you also have to be able to scry through it and say, all right, well, I know Anthony created 100 contacts. He only has follow-up on 50. Well, you have to be able to for, you know, scry through that data and tease that information out. So yeah. really, you know, you would yeah. need three talent sets. You need the training, you need the sales force, and you need mm-hmm. the, the ability to code. Now, how many people that translates yeah. into, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you find someone who has all three. Sometimes it's two mm-hmm. people, sometimes it's three. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say I'm just thinking like uh, recommending this to my clients, like having the learning or training side of it done by and, and even those um, key performance indicators set by the team that's there the executive even and oh yeah it, you know that, that's in that learning executive role and then sort of trying to find someone who's like like a salesforce engineer like certified salesforce with that like data and analytics and engineering sort of um, skill set yeah absolutely um yeah. nine nine times out of ten you're your uh, your subject matter experts are already in your company. And and, and, and again, I think Ajay even brought yeah. this point up. One of the big keys is getting off your chair and going to the subject matter experts and saying, okay, how do I explain this to someone? Yeah. What problems are you having that I can help solve? A lot of the time, these resources yeah. are there. We just have to tap them. Right. So let's also talk about... Um user journey flows right I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with this from a software development perspective where you sort of map like when someone 
does this, then this must happen. There's sort of, there's sort of like logical ideas. Anything, any advice you can give around that? Because it feels like to me, that's going to be, that is a way to tackle this problem is to have the business decide like what are those things if to your point someone has 100 calls and has only followed up on 50 then trigger you know this intervention uh yeah those kind of things well and that's a good point um you know far too often we think of train and i'm guilty of this too i'm not ragging on anybody I, i i do this too we think of training as a push skill where we, you know, oh, sorry, I'm getting texted. You know, we think of it as a push skill in that we push you into a room and say, shut up and take this course, right? Whereas mm-hmm. if you have a system set up to maybe once a day go into Salesforce, grab that information and say, okay, over the last 30 days, this, per, you know, Anthony open on, you know, Andrew open, open a hundred uh, contacts and he's followed up on 90. Andrew's awesome. This Anthony guy though, man, we got to actually, you know what? I'm going to pick on AJ because he's fun to pick on this AJ guy though. You know, he's only followed up on 40. Well, so I'm going to send him, you know, so I'm going to send him an automated email that says, hey, it looks like you're not following Mm -hmm. up with these people. Would you like to take this course or we suggest you take this course, click here, go into the LMS and we can show you how to Mm -hmm. follow up and we can be a lot more proactive that way. And the other nice thing about that, to your point, looking at at kind of the journey, you know, so you've got the person who who you've got Ajay who opens the the contacts. He doesn't follow up. He gets that email. And now maybe he's Mm -hmm. taking a course. I don't know. It's five minutes, 10 minutes. Right. Instead of that one course they take every year, that's six hours. You're taking it in little chunks as you need it. And so your journey instead of having one huge detour into a training course that happens once a year or whatever, you're taking these little tiny rest breaks. They're not even detours. You're you're pulling over at a rest Mm -hmm. area for five minutes, getting that refresher, getting that training, and then you're back to work. You're back on the highway. You're back on your journey. Um, You know, I think, Mm -hmm. and again, there too, you know, if you've got the ability to conceptualize that and build that, hugely powerful tool at your disposal yeah yeah i totally agree so in in all your experience doing all of this is it what we're describing now and i feel like this is something that's like we're both sort of thinking about for the for the first time is that um the ability to do this in this particular use use case because i can see this being applicable to a lot of companies the idea of like salesforce um data being able to inform learning interventions how i mean how solvable is this problem the short answer is very well. We're we're training and development, so you know the answer is it depends because that's our answer to everything. Um, the short answer is it's it's very solvable depending on the training technology you have and what it is you're you're metering. So you know with Salesforce, this would be mm-hmm. relatively easy to have a system go in make these call make these calls look at this data and then make a call to the LMS mm-hmm. to say hey assign this course to this person whereas if you do mm-hmm. something like you know you, you were talking before about the soft skills 
you know, that's going to be a lot mm-hmm. more difficult because how do we meter that? So if you've got something like this example right. with Salesforce, it's relatively easy to meter. In that case, it's far easier than, you know, the soft skills um, where you're looking at things that may not happen until, mm-hmm. you know, weeks later you're seeing the results. Yeah. But, you know, from a technology yeah. standpoint, you know, totally do yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that- that's super, that's really promising, and I think I think the the challenge on that um, soft skill side is to try to find proxies, right? Just trying to figure out like, okay, yeah. it, you know, what what are the indicators in the system that 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 might tell me that a certain behavior, you know, isn't happening um, that we need to have happen. That's so, you know that yeah. that's the the, pro- the problem with e learning is that gosh darn real world just keeps getting in the way, don't it? Um. It's real easy to see what happens on a web page. It's a lot harder to, to measure what happens in the real world sometimes. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're 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 exactly yeah. right. Well, that's uh, I think a very interesting idea and kind of thought experiment for people to know that what you've just described is is a possibility, um, and that the challenge now is to kind of figure out what how can we find proxies in tools and systems and platforms that can map to the behaviors we want to see inside companies. Yeah, absolutely. And, And, you know, and one point I'll make, and this is going to follow up directly on, on something Andre made. And and again, a point Mark made, we are a cost center. 99% of the time we're pure cost. So the way we contribute to the success of the company is by lowering operational cost, right? Lowering operational cost, lowering accident rates, lowering waste, lowering errors, things like that. This is an example where training could go in proactively and say, hey, you're missing all these sales. Bring you in for training and increase, you know, we're lowering our cost, but we're also helping increase revenue. And especially right now, um, and the reason I want to make this, this point is because now I'm in the U.S., uh, and in the U.S., so I can, I can only speak to the American economy, but in the U.S., we are recording this on July, or I'm sorry, on June 24th. On June 29th, mm-hmm. the BEA is expected to make its first second quarter GDP projection, which is expected to be negative, which means, you know, this time next week, we're expecting to be in a recession, and when that happens, companies look at their staff, they look at their resources, and they start to reevaluate who needs to stay. And, you know, this is why, you know, guys like Audrey and myself really harp on this. We want to see you succeed. We want to see you be successful. We want to see you have this great career and this great life. And if you can prove your value to the company by demonstrating lowering that cost, helping contribute indirectly to revenue by helping sales, what have you. Then companies look at training, the training department and say, we need this guy. Hey, this guy's thinking, or or this, this lady is thinking, we need these people. We need to keep them around. And so a lot of people think, you know, that we're being very negative and we're being very down on our, our community. And we're not, we're really trying to help you guys build up and see the potential of all the different ways you can contribute to the success of your career and the careers of those around you and make the, everybody successful. 
and this is another, you know, mm. another way to do that. Well, that is, I think, a fantastic note to to bring this to a close on. Um, it, and it's a, it's a, I think you've given people an opportunity here or, or an idea to think through about how to do exactly that. So um, I definitely appreciate you you taking the time to, to talk through this with me, Anthony. And um, any um, as sort of a final word, anything you would recommend people out there go and check out? It could be something of yours. It could be something else. Anything that you think could be useful to kind of help them continue this conversation? Well, it seems self-serving to recommend they go take my XAPI course on LinkedIn Learning right now. But um, <laughs> I, I would say look at the first thing I would do is step back and say step back, look at the company around you. And go talk to the people who actually run all the different departments and say, how can I help you? What problems do you have and how can I help? And then depending on those answers, mm. um, Ajay has some great courses on LinkedIn Learning. Mark Lassoff has some amazing courses on development on JavaScript, Perl, Python, PHP, mm-hmm. you know, the whole ball of wax. Um Mm-hmm. take the course, you know, or if you go to, for Salesforce, we were talking a lot about Salesforce, Trailhead. Uh, if you did Google search, uh, Salesforce mm-hmm. Trailhead, all kinds of absolutely free mm-hmm. training from Salesforce. Learn about those platforms, learn about the things you need to do. And again, you're not writing the next browser. You're not writing the next operating system. These are, are, you know, very low level, ba- or I shouldn't say low level, but, you know, they're, they're low skill. They're very low hanging fruit skills that anybody can have. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a four year computer science degree to be very successful with this. And I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. frankly, I, I think we sell ourselves short. You know, we think, oh, I could never be a programmer. You don't have to be. Learn a little bit of code. You can do an amazing amount of things. And as evidence of that, XAPI, the entirety of XAPI, every XAPI statement you've ever heard of came down to four lines of code. Four, that's it. Four lines of JavaScript is all all your content needs for XAPI. That's it. So this is all low-hanging fruit. Any of you can do it. I, I 100%, I have faith in each and every one of you. Well, that is a beautiful message. Anthony, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listen. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.